0: Please remain standing for the reading of scripture. This morning, our text will be Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Please pray with me. Our great triune King, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ascribe glory to your name. And we do ask for your help at this time as your word is preached. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts, our minds, that you would awaken us to the beauty of your word And then we pray that you would remove the veil off the blind eye, remove the block out of the deaf ear and turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Help me now as your servant, as I stand to declare what thus says the Lord, empower me, make my words, your words. O Lord, we pray that all that we say and do would be done to your glory. For if that is not our aim, then our striving is in vain. Have mercy on us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. It is such a joy to be back here with you all again this morning as we share in the Lord's word together. Uh, This morning I've entitled our sermon purpose and possession. And, uh, you know, we we, you meet all kinds of people when you go on vacation, all sorts of interesting, kind, uh, uh, sometimes strange people. Uh, Nonetheless, you get to meet all sorts of people. And one day while on vacation, I was uh, with my family. I was sitting down on the beach and a gentleman happened to pass by as I was reading a book. And he took notice of the title. It was Christ centered, uh, preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And he said, huh. And I said, oh, here we go. And then shortly, shortly afterwards, we engaged in a very interesting, fun and concerning conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, he revealed to me that he believed that our purpose was right then and right there, that our purpose was to do nothing beyond enjoy the beautiful rays on the beach, enjoy the beautiful water coming upon the shore and enjoy the scenery of hanging out with other people. For him, heaven was right then, and there he believed that there was no purpose beyond pleasure and enjoying life. And of course, being a good Reformed theologian, I objected, and I brought a few things to his. I encouraged him to consider a few things, uh, which he acknowledged later on in our conversation. But what that conversation revealed was a struggle that many people have, namely the struggle to understand that we were created with a purpose. That is what our conversation uh, revealed. But Paul says to the Christian this morning that we have been created with a purpose and that we find our purpose in Christ. In Christ, we see God's purpose. We see our purpose. And not only that we see that we have a purpose beyond uh, this earthly age. And that purpose extends to a possession that awaits us upon Christ's return. And so I want, to, I want us to consider two points uh, this morning from our text, God's purpose in Christ and then God's possession in Christ. You'll notice that the context, again, is Paul's long sentence, this long sentence of praise where he gives God thanks and glory for all the blessings that we have received in Jesus Christ. Uh, And now we get down to our present portion of the sentence where Paul talks about the purpose and the possession that we have in Christ. First, we'll look at God's purpose in Christ Paul says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In the previous section, you'll notice in verses 3 through 10, Paul has talked about all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We've been predestined for adoption. We've been predestined uh, for redemption. And the Lord has also revealed to us some of his plans for history, his grand plan to bring all things under the authority of, of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this great salvation that we have has been applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say that we've been predestined according to God's purpose. That is, we have been predestined according to the sovereign hand of God. Uh, Paul says, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Man, that is deep. That is a mouthful. That is very heavy. Paul has a very big view of God. Paul believes in a sovereign God that rules history. Notice the three words that he uses as the basis of God's predestinating activity his purpose, his counsel. And his will. By his counsel, uh, excuse me, by his purpose, Paul means that God has an aim in mind. God has a grand vision. God has a result in mind. That he crafted. So God is not just aimlessly sitting up there in eternity thinking about how things should be done. God has settled his purpose. His purpose already, his aim, he has a goal, a telos, if you will, in mind. His counsel is his plan. Not only does God have a vision, not only does he have a grand end in mind, he has a plan. He has a strategy. uh, Which he will use to accomplish that ends. And then Paul says his will. God chooses. To accomplish that plan. God has a divine prerogative, if you will. He does all that pleases him, says the psalmist in 115. The Lord gets to do whatever he wants. He has a name. He has a plan and he has a choice and he has made that choice. So, beloved, history is not run by fate an impersonal force that's sitting behind all things that happen. History is not run by this unknowable being, uh, as many of the Greeks believed. History is not being dictated by chance. History is not being run by a series of accidental collisions. History is not dictated solely by the creatures. Okay. In other words, there is no place for deism. Like many of the Enlightenment thinkers believed, history has not been set in motion like a clock and then evacuated by God. God has not set things in motion and left it simply to his creatures to maintain. God has rather invited us to participate in his unfolding plan. As part of his strategy, we get he. It's part of his strategy involves us carrying out his glorious plan in time and space. You see, we get to participate, not manipulate God. God is not subject to us; we are subject to Him. Paul says that an all powerful. An all-knowing and all-present God devised a course for history and eternity past and is carrying it out in time. And we, as his subjects, get to participate in it. I love how the Westminster Confession, uh, short of Catechism, question 11, describes God's providence. It says that God's providence is his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. And beloved, the reality of this should bring us to repentance of our pride. The reality that there is someone more powerful than us and that anything we have, whether material or spiritual, all spiritual, all comes from the hand of God. But this should not only humble us. This should not only cause us to repent of our pride. This should also bring comfort to us just as much as it did for the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter from prison. You see, I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded occasionally that this world has not been left to the wicked hands, to the hands of wicked men, especially when I turn on the television constantly and see all the chaos, see all the brokenness, see all the injustice in the world on a regular basis. I need to be reminded that, in fact, God is still running the show. And let me say to you this morning that God's sovereignty is as complicated, it's as complex, it's as wonderful, it's as awe-inspiring as college calculus. That brought me to my knees. But it's as comforting as the preschool song, he's got the whole world in his hands. That helps me to stand to my two feet in confidence. Paul says that we've been predestined for a purpose so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What is our purpose? Paul says that we were predestined in Christ for worship. Christ, God created us for worship. Some people (coughs) worship the wrong thing and the wrong people. God has created us in Christ. To worship Him in Christ, we have been predestined to set our full affections on someone greater than ourselves. That's why we've been predestined in Christ, to bring Him praise and glory. Excuse me. Paul now moves from God's purpose to God's possession for His church in Christ. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. I'm sorry. He says in verse verses 13 and 14 in him, you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In verses 11 and 12, we get a good dose of God's sovereignty in salvation. But we also need to understand that there is human responsibility involved in salvation. In other words, we are not robots and God is not a ventriloquist just tossing us around like puppets. You see, he does give us a will and the ability to make decisions. But we must balance that understanding with the reality that we believe the gospel message or the truth because God predestined us to believe it. It's a simple illustration that I received when I was younger. That when you walk through the door, one says, choose God. The other says, don't choose God. If you walk through the door that says, choose God, you stand behind the door. When you walk in, you look behind the door and it says chosen before time. You see. So the reason that we accept God, the reason that we choose God is because he predestined that we would choose him. And some of you are saying, well, Maybe pastor, that doesn't quite make sense. And I want to say to you, don't worry, because this mystery has taken many a theologians down to the ground over the ages. So we're not the first to wonder how does God balance his sovereignty with human responsibility? The simple answer is. He designed it that way. And notice that they heard the word of truth which is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that in him is Jesus Christ, obviously. Acts 19 and 20 gives us the background of what Paul was dealing with in Ephesus. Uh, The people worshiped the goddess Artemis, and making physical idols and statues of her helped uh, generate money for their economy. Uh, And so when Paul brought the message of the gospel to Ephesus, people believed in Jesus And turn from their idolatry, which caused some of the locals to riot. And I want to make a note there. The gospel message is good news to some, but it's bad news for others. Okay, there are some people who will embrace it with glad hearts and there are some people who will be hardened. There are some people who will be upset by it. There are some people who will have a sheer and utter disdain for the gospel message. I remember when I was in high school. I had a friend of mine. We were sitting in wood shop and it was a, a sister in the Lord and she was going through some stuff. And uh, I said, to her, I said, what's wrong? She said, you know, this, that and the other. And then I opened up with, well, you know, Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. And then the person sitting across from me was just infuriated. Filled with hostility, she rose to her feet and said, I am tired of you talking about Jesus. In this class, to which I responded, I don't owe you or anybody anything. I'm obligated to one man, one man only, and that is Jesus Christ. And all the pagans in the class said, Amen. (laughs) And our woodshop teacher was Jewish. (laughs) I'm not lying. Paul preached the lordship of Jesus Christ, which is contrary to what many of the Ephesians believed. But once they embraced it by faith, they turned from their idolatry and they were saved. And beloved, that's why we must hold high the name of Jesus Christ, because there is no name, no other name given unto heaven whereby men must be saved. And now we may not see uh, temple worship like did the Ephesians, but we still do have other forms of idolatry in our lives culture let me say a few some of us worship our money some of us worship materials and our possessions some of us worship our families some of us worship our reputation and yes some of us worship political candidates and political ideologies and I want to say to you that those things may grant you temporary pleasure But they cannot do for you what only God and Jesus Christ can do for you. They cannot provide you with eternal salvation. They cannot provide you a relationship with the creator of the universe. Only a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, can grant you everlasting life and bliss in eternity with the creator of the universe. Brothers and sisters. This should give us confidence in evangelism. Even when we are faced with opposition to the gospel message. Listen to me. God will get his own. Make no mistake about it. God will build his church. And there is nothing that can thwart the plan of God. His plan will come to pass. He will get his people. And so for you and I, that means we can, with joy and gladness, go out to the highways and the byways and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the confident assurance that God will bring home his people. This should also cause us to be vigilant of false doctrines. Paul says that there is only one gospel, and when he departed from the Ephesians, he he sent a farewell letter to them and said, you be careful for wolves that will come in. And I want to tell you, we have to be vigilant as well. Not everything that we see on television, here on the radio or preached should be embraced. If the message is not the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and his return to judge living and the dead, then it must be rejected. If the message does not say that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, it must be rejected. If it is self-help, it must be rejected as a gospel message. I have no problem with practical wisdom. God has given in his common grace, he has given us practical wisdom that we can use for our life. But only the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him raised from the dead, him returning can grant you eternal life. So we must, we must not compromise. We must not bend on that truth. That has been settled. And anything else, anything else must be rejected. Paul says in Christ, <clears throat> those, who, those of us who believe have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This means that we have been marked by God for protection, for authentication, and identification Until we receive our inheritance Uh, in ancient times, they would uh, documents were sealed to show uh, what they were, to whom they belonged, and for protection against tempering. Much like we go to a notary to get uh, a document stamped um, in Romans. uh, God stamps his own as believers, as we as God, we as believers, God stamps us and does the same thing. He authenticates us, makes it known that we are his. And it, and it provides protection against the enemy. And Paul says in Romans eight eighteen, 18, uh, the Spirit tells us that we are children of God. The Spirit also testifies to us that we belong to him and that we are in his protective hand. And I just love how the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, phrases this. It asks, What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Listen closely. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Praise God for his goodness. Paul calls him the promised spirit. Why is he called the promised spirit? Because from the Old Testament, the prophets who pro- uh, proclaimed God's word prophesied that the Lord was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. You see that clearly in Joel, too. By all flesh, he means there's no age restriction. There's no ethnic restriction. There's no socioeconomic restriction. It doesn't mean that every single individual will receive the gift of the spirit, but it transcends all sorts of boundaries. Then. Jesus promises that after he ascends to the father, that he would send another helper in John 15 and 16. And then once we get to Acts chapter two, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples of Jesus. And even we, even us, thousands of years later, still get the promise Holy Spirit as our seal. Paul also says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we attain possession of it. This inheritance, beloved, is the new creation where Jesus establishes his consummate kingdom right here on earth. When he returns, we will not be disembodied spirits floating around in space. The Lord's going to establish his eternal kingdom right here on earth. And in this kingdom, we will worship the Lord as we ought to without the interruption of sin. In this kingdom, justice reigns and all wrongs are righted. And in this kingdom, we will finally love each other the way we are supposed to. In other words, we have more to look forward to than this life. And Paul is saying that the future has already come to us through the, through the work of Jesus Christ defeating the power of Satan sin and death and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us right now conforming us more to the image of Jesus Christ and our future inheritance is getting more of God's presence so what do we look forward to more of God's presence This was the promise that God made to his people in Exodus six, all throughout Exodus, all throughout the Old Testament. When he said in verse six, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people And I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And now if we fast forward all the way through redemptive history, John gives us a vision of this grand picture already accomplished. John gives us a snapshot of this promise fully realized. This is what he says in Revelation 21 verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And listen, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Beloved, do you see our inheritance? Do you see what awaits us? The Lord gives us a snapshot of this promise fully realized in Revelation 21. When you buy a house uh, and you make a down payment on it, the money that you uh, put on the down payment goes towards the house. So eventually, as time passes and you pay more money, you grow closer to owning uh, that piece of property. Uh, And uh, so it is with believers. But the down payment is God Himself. And at the end of of history, the inheritance we will receive is more of God himself. Beloved, long for something greater than the blessings. Long for the one who provides the blessings. Because that's the ultimate blessing. I want to ask you this morning. When you look in the mirror, do you see age setting in? When you look in the mirror, do you see that time has run its course on you? When you look in the mirror, do you see your body decaying? Do you, do you notice that things are changing? I'm 30, and I notice that I have to brush my hair a little bit forward. <laughs> so I'm not picking on you, trust me. I was combing my hair a couple weeks ago, and someone brought it to my attention that my hair is standing out. I won't tell you who. <laughs> it's one of the most honest people I know, and I thank God for them. I'm leaving them neutral on purpose. But do you see time running its course? Paul says to you that even though the outward man is wasting away, the inward man is being renewed. So even as you see your body declining, your inward man is increasing, growing closer to glory. Are you limited by physical ailment this morning? Has an illness placed limitations on you? Has an illness caused you to no longer do things that you were once able to do? Well, Paul says this to you. And Paul says this to me, that we also get to inherit a glorified body that will no longer, not ever again, be disturbed by the limitations of this life ever again. Yes, and amen goes there. That's what we have awaiting us. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Would you like to have the purpose and possession of those who are in Christ? If you've answered yes to that, then say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you hear the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart this morning, please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the treasures that we have in your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you testify to us that we are yours and that we have a glorious inheritance that awaits us, more of you. Lord, seal this word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.